Hi, everybody. Thanks for checking out Telich Talks. Let's talk about a school, Villa Angela St. Joseph High School. It sits on the northeastern tip of the city of Cleveland, right on the shores of Lake Erie. Kind of a nondescript high school building, but inside so many champions and great athletes have come through those halls. You have greats like Clark Kellogg. He was a tremendous basketball player there in the day. He was the pre-LeBron, LeBron, if you will, in Ohio. And, of course, Desmond Howard, the Heisman Trophy winner. Both of the Golick brothers, Mike from radio fame and TV fame, and Bob, who played for the Cleveland Browns, and so on and so forth in his career. And let's not forget Elvis Gerbach, the quarterback who played in the National Football League, and London Fletcher, a tremendous NFL star who recently retired, one of the greats at that school. They've won championships in football. They've certainly won a bunch in basketball. And one name kind of goes through the history of the basketball championships, and that name is Kwasniak. Ted Kwasniak, the veteran coach, the legend, has his, had his fingers in seven championships that the school has been involved in. He was an assistant coach for the first two titles that they won back in the early 90s. He was the head coach in the mid-90s when Villa Angela St. Joe's was winning a couple of championships. And then in most recent years, three titles have been won, and Ted Kwasniak has been an assistant coach on that staff. And the head coach is his son. That's Babe Kwasniak, who had his hands in five of the titles that the Vikings have won over the years. He won two as a player, and he has coached the Vikings to three championships. He has a bit of a military background. He went to West Point out of Villa Angela St. Joe's. He's been a coach for several years now. He's been in the business of motivating and teaching kids the principles of being good teammates and being good leaders. So I thought it would be a good, nice opportunity to sit down and chat with this former gym rat that I can recall as a youngster and was a very good basketball player in his own day. But just a good opportunity to sit down with this gym rat and hear his thoughts on motivating and making kids get the most out of their abilities. And he also has some opinions about how some of the professionals are doing their things as well. We'll let you listen in. Here we go with Babe Kwasniak. Babe Kwasniak here at Villa Angela St. Joe's. Uh, welcome to the show. And Babe, first and foremost, you guys have a bunch of banners in this building here that show that a lot of winning's been going on for a long time. Well, first and foremost, Mr. Tellich, this is an honor because uh, as a young guy growing up, not only in Cleveland, but in Euclid, Ohio, you've always been a, a hero of mine and somebody I've always looked up to. And uh, my my old man says when I was getting ready to do this today, he says you tell you tell you tell uh, JT he's the absolute best. So right. that's about as high praise as you can get. And just even to sit down and do this with you is is an honor and uh, a privilege. Thank you so much for having me on. My pleasure. So let's talk about the aspect of leading young kids. You get a variety of individuals that come into your realm, and yet how what is the best method to get kids to become not just good basketball players, good kids, and also become leaders like yourself? I think, you know, you have to ask yourself, you know, how do I judge my success now? And 
one of my mentors, uh, Doug Collins, who's near and dear to your heart, you know, following those Cavs teams, playing against the Bulls teams in the 80s, <laughs> he would tell me all the time, or he still does, he said, what, are you going to let 17- and 18-year-old dictate your happiness? You know, you're in a profession where you're not going to learn how successful you were until 20 years from now. You know, it's not going to be instant feedback. What kind of... You know, how many doctors are you going to produce? How many leaders are you going to produce? How many, you know, lawyers? Uh, what type of people are you producing? So, I, you know, you mentioned the banners, and, and I think that's all great, uh, but that's not kind of how I measure my success. I measure my success, but by by what type of people we're producing, and and uh, you know, I've had a, um, a very eclectic background in that I, I went here, went to VASJ, I was part of the first merging class. Uh, then then went to West Point, uh, United States Military Academy, and and uh, and from there I kind of learned that. Um, you know, the most important thing in any organization is, is to develop leadership, is mm-hmm. to take young people. And and you look at, uh, and I've been blessed to, um, I've been in the business world. I worked for a cancer diagnostics company for nine years. I served in the Army as a platoon leader and a company executive officer. And there's one thing I learned, Mr. Telich, whether you're in business, whether you're running an Army unit or you're running a high school basketball team, uh, leadership is is never going to be outdated. Like mm-hmm. there's never going to be an app for that. You know, there, there's right. going to be uh, you, you manage time, logistics, money. You lead people. And when it comes to leadership, you know, you talk about your relationships and relationships with one another. And even in this day and age, when social media, people say, well, that's outdated. Well, I'll argue it's more important than it's ever been in those Why relationships so? uh, because you have to connect people, right? And that's um. You know, when folks ask us, and you mentioned about the banners, you know, how are you successful? I, I think we've been successful because we create leaders and, and we create, you know, multiple, multiple leaders. And, and you know, that they ask, how do you do that? And I say, well, number one, you got to teach a young person how to be coachable. Because in this day and age where um, my dad says this all the time, kids have not changed, parents have. Okay. You know, the day and age where and you and I were talking about that previously, the day and age of, hey, here's, here's Johnny, you know, do what you want, you know, turn him into a man. Uh, one of my favorite stories here um, at at, uh, at St. Joe's at Villangelo St. Joseph is we had a young we had a young player by the name of and I say young player he, he's a lot older than me but Stan Kimbrough mm-hmm. was a kid here and he's I remember very excellent player. <laughs> yeah and, and I remember um, Coach Moran and my dad telling me that his mom brought him here and said hey make a man out of him you know they did the same the same thing with Desmond Howard and London Fletcher and the, and, the, and the names go on and on so I think that's the first part is you know you have to be coachable mm-hmm. uh, the second piece that leads to that is you have to you have to learn how to become a good teammate. I think so many times, um, you know, and what you do and what what we all do, you're going to be a part of something bigger than yourself. It's not only about you. And when when I talk about the culture of basketball, the thing that's disappointed me the most is we've taken a team sport and we've individualized it. Mm -hmm. You know, like even even you know the the great um, LeBron and and Steph. The uh, NBA, yeah. And the the NBA, you know, in in the past, um, you know, the past four. Four or five years, I've been fortunate enough to go out to Golden State and, and train with, with, work Ste- with, with Steph. yeah with Steph Curry. And one of my favorite things that Steph does during the film sessions is he says, uh, no, "No, Coach Kerr doesn't want me to do that." Well, that tells me that he's coachable. So I tell my guys, if the most skilled player on the planet, I don't say best player because I don't want to get you know make sure. <laughs> Cleveland people mad about LeBron, but I say if the most skilled player on the planet can be coachable and be a good good teammate, then why shouldn't you? And then I think that leads to the third component is once you're coachable, once you learn how to become a good teammate, that leads into being becoming a leader. And I think you look at any organization, in my opinion, Mr. Telich, you know, you look at the elite organizations and elite doesn't necessarily mean the best. It means being the best version of yourself. And I know you, you still, you know, you're still, you're still doing all those running, all that running you do. And, you know, I, you know, this better than anybody. The best part about running is you're running against yourself. You're yes. not comparing yourself to other, to other folks. You're kind of setting standards that only you can hope to top or 
or achieve. And you're getting to a point where you're always striving to be better as opposed to just staying at that plateau. And I love the word standard because we have standards, not rules. Rules are restrictive. Um, rules are, hey, we have to have do this or do, do A or B. And maybe it's because I have a military background. I don't like having a lot of rules. Standards are a, a methodology and a plateau of excellence that we have to maintain and we're never going to dip below. And a lot of our standards of excellence are being coachable, being a good teammate, and knowing that you can't skip those steps if you want to be a leader for us. And we feel like that's been the formula for our success. Can you spot a leader from a kid that just walks into a gym? Uh, a potential that, leader? That's a great question. I think I think it's something, you, just like toughness, I think it's something you teach. Um, you know, like that's the argument of, hey, does West Point create leaders? Or the fact that, you know, it's a 1% acceptance rate to get into West Point. You know, is it something, that, do, do, do smart people go to Princeton or mm-hmm. does the Princeton make them smart? I think it's probably, you know, nature and nurture, a little bit little bit of both. But yes, I think sometimes when you, when you see a kid who's uh, gregarious, a little more outgoing, you know, they, they have, you know, the tools. But we've had kids here. Uh, we said we said a kid last year to the Citadel, a kid by the name of Gene Higgins. He was a uh, you know yeah. naturally soft spoken, uh, and and I think communication is such an important part of being a leader. I, I, I in my humble opinion, um, it's it's hard to be quiet and be a leader. I mean, there, there's a reason the lion's king of the jungle. It's got the loudest roar. There's there's a reason you know the snake or the mouse isn't the king of the jungle, and I think communication is just such an important piece, uh, and that's something we 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 talk about all the time here. You can't have trust without the truth. And having the truth means that we're going to disagree on things, you know, yeah. and there's been times where, um, you know, I don't want to say yell at a kid, but we're, we're, we're going to have heated you know, discussions. And I'm not going to tell you what you what you want to hear necessarily, but what you need to hear. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think, um, you know, a kid has to get comfortable with because that's not always, you know, that's not always easy, Mr. Telich. And, you know, I, I think we we talk about parenting, too. Right. Like, yeah. um, I think a lot of times my dad says this all the time. That sometimes, you know, as parents, we want to be their friends. And let's face it, to, to, to really, you know, make this work and to really be coachable, you, you got to separate yourself from that. And I, and I think we've we've lost a little bit of that in society, right? Like maybe I'm old school, but it still it drives me nuts when 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 folks don't, um, you know, don't call people, you know, by the appropriate title. You know, I mean, I I, I know um, I try to teach our kids all the time that, you know, you, you don't call somebody by their first name until they give you permission to do that. Uh, you could probably tell you, you say, "Hey, call me John." I still won't do that because You'll I mean, still call it, me Mr. It, well, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 a it's a respect thing, and it's something that um, you can't have you can't have a good student without a respectful student. And I think coaching and leadership works the same way. You, you, I'm not I'm not gonna learn anything. Like I'm not learning anything right now by talking. Like I, I've learned from guys like you by listening to you. Like I have for 25 years or 42 years, however long I've been alive. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such an important aspect of, of opening yourself up and being coachable is the first step. Can kids handle the truth? There's, I think, the biggest misconception is we think that people, that kids don't want it. Kids want it, Mr. Telich. I'm telling you. I, I mean, I've, I've coached them. I got a young man at Northwestern, Derek Pardon, right now. Um, we, you know, we've butted heads. I even butted heads with his parents at times. But uh, he looks now and, you know, and he calls me and he actually gets on me the other way. He says, Coach, you're not hard enough on our guys like you were on us. And it's gonna. And I say, Well, Derek, there's three. There's three parts of that. Number one, I can't do that anymore. I'm not that young. Uh, number two. You know, I don't know if I can talk to kids the way I talk to you. I don't know if it's, I don't want to say socially acceptable, but right away, if the parents are going to transfer them or their parents are going to get upset, I I knew I had your parents' permission to do that. And then number three, I have my own kids and I want to spend 
time with them where I was spending every waking minute with you. So some of that is just the natural progression. But yeah, discipline's a form of love. And I'm telling you, kids kids want love. Mm-hmm. And we talk, we talk all the time about tough love. There's no, there's, there's no, you know, there's no tough without the love. I, I think once they know how much you care, um, that that's the most important piece. You know, the, I, I can also go back to some of the stories that LeBron James has told over the past so many years about when he was 14 years of age. You know, he was roaming the streets. He was doing whatever he wanted. I, we mm-hmm. all know his story. He does not have a father around. His mother had her issues. And yet, I think as much as he enjoyed that freedom of being able to go where he wanted or what have you, he in his heart of hearts, wanted that structure. And that's where, you know, the people that came into his lives kind of filled that void and got him to the point where that structure made him better as a person, made him better as a player, and then made him become the type of leader that he is today. I I couldn't agree anymore with that. I'm just to be completely honest and transparent from a leadership standpoint, I I think LeBron has lost a little bit of that as he's gone along. Meaning let's go into that. I mean, I mean, you look at, you look at, you know, the way he still talks about coach Danbrot and coach Danbrot and my dad are a very good coach. And, you know, um, I just look at like the respect level he had for that. Um, and and I, I I said, what you're saying is he needs a coach kind of like what Dan brought was for him back in, in the get-go. Maybe a Luke Walton or someone in the pros is not on the level of him. I think LeBron has proven he doesn't need anybody. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, LeBron has proven, I mean, listen, Ty, Ty Lue, anybody could have come. I mean, like, I think he could be such a great example for young people if he would accept coaching more. That, that's what I think. I, I think even the whole thing with, with Blatt, I, I, I was a Blatt fan. Right. Um, I, I thought the guy was a heck of a coach. Um, I think, I think as you go the higher level you get, I think the less you coach, it's all about having players. You know, you have the most talent in the NBA, you win in a seven game series. The best team always wins. You know, you can make the argument, oh, the Cavs upset the Warriors in a seven game series. The best team always wins. I think that's where, that's what's so exciting. We played a night in the sectional final in high school basketball and, you know, in 32 minute game, anything could happen, Mr. T, anything, anything has happened in the past. That's why you see the best team doesn't always win. That's why we call it March madness and March is here. And that's, what's so exciting about it. But yeah, I just, you know, if I was on LeBron's team, which I'm not like, that would be part of the, could you handle all this drama? Well, that'd be part of the consultation I'd give is, you know, be a better example for young people and show that you can be coached. Cause right now it's looking like, I mean, look at Luke Walton's stock was never higher a couple years ago. I mean, he's, you know, he's at a point in his career where, I mean, it's almost like, hey, he's he's above the coaching. And, and again, I, I've been in Steph's camp the last five or six years. And I, when I say camp, I don't mean just working with him. I mean, like, you know, kind of on his team, per se. And I don't see any of that with him. I, I see the exact opposite. I, I see just this um, just genuine respect of coaching. Uh, and it goes to Kerr, but it goes, you look at his whole, his whole, you know, background with Sean Brown and Charlie Christian and then, um, uh, McKillop at Davidson. That's something that I think that has separated, you know, Steph Curry. Um, and that's something LeBron had, like you said, growing up with, with coach Joyce and, and with coach Danbrod, it's something he had. And I think as of right now, as the snapshot right now, it seems like he's disinterested in that or above that. And that's, that's just, that's disappointing for a high school basketball coach. Mm-hmm. All right. I, I don't want this to kind of go <laughs> off on a, a LeBron tangent per se, but uh, it, what you're saying, you make valid points in the, in the sense that when he was growing up, these guys represented something to him that maybe the coaches now, because of his stature and his growth in the game and how everybody kind of fawns all over him, he doesn't perceive it to be 
the way it used to be. Well, is that fair? That's fair, and, and it's I think it's a, it's a sign of the times. I mean, like how, how when you're making you know, and I know the baseball guy just signed for three hundred million. How do you how do you make three million dollars and tell a guy making three hundred million to go set a screen, right? I mean, it's just it puts it in a very uh, tough position, and it makes leadership more important than ever because it starts with respect. And, and I'm not saying LeBron doesn't respect no. Luke Walton. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that from the periphery as a high school basketball coach, knowing that these guys worship him, uh, I, I think that's you know so important. I grew up in the era of those of the of the, of the, of the uh, Michael Jordans and Larry Bird and and Magic Johnson. I think that's the I, I think that's the difference. When people use the goat argument, um, it's hard for me to put anybody above Jordan because jo- Jordan was look at how coachable he was. You know when you look at Dean Smith and. Um, like he just didn't take plays off because I think that's the way he was trained. I think right now you watch these and it goes social media perpetuates everything, but you watch these clips of LeBron and he's kind of taking plays off because he can't, you know, he's that, he's that talented. And I understand that. Uh, but I think that's where the coaching comes in. And I just, maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but in the eighties growing up, I just don't remember Jordan or bird or magic ever doing that. Yeah. It, it, it was different times. I can still remember back Lenny Wilkins coaching the Cavaliers and being, uh, Having the access to watch a full practice, which you don't get to see anymore. You mm-hmm. really were in the media. We get to see them in the last 10 minutes of practice. They're shooting free throws. You do a few interviews and you're done. But back in those days, you were present for the entire workout. I would see Mark Price and Kevin Johnson going at each other like there was absolutely no tomorrow. And it was great drama, it was great fun, but you saw the coaching that was going on. Don't get a chance to see that as much. And it's kind of weird, babe, because in this day and age with so much social media, so much exposure to what people are doing, there are many ways on the professional level we're not really seeing the true picture because a lot of stuff is behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. You know, strategies in football are are not you know told to other teams or other people. So, kind of a it's kind of a mixed bag as to how you look at things. Also today, in this day and age, uh, we have these elite teams that are put together of great kids, of kids with great talent, and uh, the balls come into mind here. What are your thoughts on just, you know, Spire Institute, mm. uh, what they've done there, and then, of course, the, the father's influence on his boys? Well, I, I'll say this. I'm, I'm a basketball purist, probably. I grew up a coach of a son, um, and now having raised my – I have three boys kind of raising them in the gym, you know, as, as you have, uh, have witnessed here. I'll, I'll take a quote from Thad Mata, who's uh, been a mentor of mine. He says, you know, parents have taken the fun out of coaching. You know, if you think about this, Mr. T, I mean, I know you, you, you're you a neighborhood guy, you know, Holy Cross guy. You think of like CYO in terms of like that's how my dad got his start. He was he won. I think it was like 60 CYO games in a row. There was a guy by the name of Coach Canavino, Joe Canavino, who, had, who used to carry around a laminated card of when he beat my dad. He used to bring it to skinnies. He'd say, hey, here's when I beat your dad in the, in the eighth grade and whatever it was, you know, 1977 or whatever. And if you think about it, even going back to that. Guys did it then because they loved doing this. If you asked me, I can name every coach I ever had, from Jim Delariva to Harry Keller, my my, you know, my baseball coaches, Bill Bannock was my was my was my Euclid uh, Little League coach. They've had such a positive influence on my life. And those guys, they didn't just coach their kids; they did it because they love it. My challenge, Mr. T, is look at look at the look at this, the landscape now. Guys aren't doing this because they love it, because it's not worth it. You know, you have to deal with you know crazy parents, and you have to deal with um, the agendas, and, and that's alarming to me. A lot of times now when guys coach, it's because their kids play. 
And um, I don't know if that's the right reasons to be doing this. You know what I mean? Like, just look at look at the guys that coach at the youth level for 20, 30 years, you know, anymore. I mean, heck, even with what you do, I mean, there's not guys in the business as long as you have. It's just, the landscape has changed, and I don't know if that's necessarily good for the game. Mm-hmm. When it comes to, you know, when it comes to um, LeVar Ball, like, listen, I, I've never met the guy. Um, you know, I know when, when the guy runs his mouth and says he's a better player than Michael Jordan, I mean, okay, obviously now we're just – That kind shot. of disqualifies him from the get, Dis- doesn't it? It discredits for him. And you, you, just, you feel bad for his kids because his kids seem like – they seem like good young men. Um, you know, I can say whatever I want about what I feel about his, his basketball propensity and what he's doing, but the, the kids seem like good kids. And I just said, hey, that's the most important thing is to create good human beings. So I don't want to judge him on that. Um, and it's not, I mean, it's not his fault. People are willing to pack Euclid gym and say, and say, okay, this is, this is what we value. I think that just kind of shows where, where we are as a country. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up in the eighties where you went to a St. Joe Euclid game. I mean, come on, Mr. T, can you make crowds like that? I mean, it was right. Unbelievable. And now the only way we can get that crowd is, is to have, uh, you know, this, which is, I just think there's just not much substance to it. You know, I like how good is the actual basketball? I mean, it's okay if you're the type of person that likes watching the all-star game i mean i'm not i would rather watch you know game six and game seven of the nba championship and i think it's somewhere along the line uh just like we've gotten away from what is the truth isn't as important and the narrative is more important how many hits are on social media how many and you know how, how do we cure that i don't know i don't know the answer to that i, I joke all the time that coaching is the one profession where we don't really need any credentials. So my wife's a dermatologist, and you know, if I start telling her about the skin, she looks at me like I'm, you know, she like, like yes. I, I have nine heads. Where here, here I am. Um, I mean, I've been doing this for nine years. Uh, before that, I coached in college at the Division One level. Before that, I was the Armed Forces coach, a job I got through through Mike Shashevsky at Duke. And there's not a day that goes by where I have somebody tell me that I don't know what I'm doing, right? Like you said, we we've, we've been very successful. I think we're just in a profession where everybody thinks they know. And like I said, that leads to it not being as much fun. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get a guy like um, LeVar Ball, and he, and he has a platform. And I don't know if that's necessarily good. I mean, any and my goodness, nobody's gone through it like you do because now everybody has an opinion. Before, um, you, you, were, you had the power of the pen and you had the power of the media, to, you know, to say your piece. And, hey, you've been doing this for umpteen years, and now anybody can have that. That doesn't necessarily mean they know what they're talking about. Yeah, I would agree with that. In fact, the way the media has gone over the years, it used to be, at least um, being old school, I was on the fence, and I would give you all the facts that you needed to know, and I trusted that you had the intelligence to make up your mind as to where this thing was going, what your take on the situation was. Nowadays, everybody in the media has to have a take on something. And also, <laughs> anybody that happens to be on social media believes that they can have their own take and they're not shy about putting it out there. Yeah. And that's all well and good, but there's just so much out there to discern, to decipher, and uh, in some ways it kind of gets in the way of the enjoyment of the sports. Do you think kids are enjoying playing I, I, sports? I, I, couldn't I think agree, they no. are, but I there's some agree. aspects that hurt it. I couldn't agree more. And at the end of the day, like we're dealing with a minute percentage, right? So, I mean, think about the guys that you saw. I mean, I play with Melvin Levitt, who's, who's, I mean, so that it's, it's the less than 1% of 1% that are going to make it. And all of our focus is on that. Um, you know, we're sitting there saying that these kids are, you know, a sure thing that they're, they're automatically going to make it. And it's just not the case. I mean, I coached Carlton Bragg, who is a McDonald's All-American, who I, who I love and a great young man. He's at Planet New Mexico now. Um, but I used to bring this up all the time and I'm not anti-AAU guy, but my issue was 
everyone has to go to college now. So our, our job is to get guys ready to go to go to school. So my job is to make sure, and I tell them all the time, it's not my job to get you into school, it's my job to get you through school. We, we, are, we are an academic institution, we are, we're in this for education. So in 2015, we won the state championship, we played Oak Hill, who was number one in the country. We played this national schedule. You know how many days of school we missed that year, Mr. T? We missed one day. A Friday when we were playing in the state championship, we were playing Lima Central Catholic, March 23rd, 2015. Um, Carlton would miss uh, uh, the spring prior in 2014. He would miss almost every Thursday and Friday for, for the AU circuit. And again, I'm not anti-AU guy, but I thought that was wrong. I, I, here we are trying to prepare a kid to get into college who needs to have the test scores, who needs to have the, the base, the foundation. Um, and, and instead, we're focusing on you know trying to make this – small percentage of pro and mm -hmm. you know i think somewhere along the line we've kind of like lost our way with that right and and um you know you had guys um you know these personalities like coach moran like my like my father that that knew okay let, let's make let's make let's give them a, a base of foundation to succeed let's make them you know let's make them good students let's make them good people and then you know what that stuff will take care of itself now we're kind of focusing on the other stuff which is there's really just not a whole lot of substance to it and then what happens is like Clark Kellogg says, the ball stops bouncing. And when it does, now what are they, what are they prepared to do? In Clark's case, he blew out his knee and turns, turns, turns that into a magnificent career with CBS and, uh, you know, on, on TV. Uh, but, you know, are we are we doing our best to prepare those guys, you know, for, for life after? And that's – and I guess that's my question circling this whole thing back to LeVar Ball. Like, okay, what are you doing? Uh, you know, you're building this brand – uh, per well, that's se. where it is. It's, yeah. it's all about the brand. He's sending the, you know, the kids went to overseas to play there. It was for the brand. Mm -hmm. And then it was kind of strange to hear a couple of months ago when the announcement was made that LaMelo was going to Spires that I want to get my high school diploma. And no, I, I think in all due respect, I think he, he wants to play in the National Basketball Association. <laughs> yes. and, th and that's a great goal to have for a young kid. That's all well and good. But there's so much more beyond that. And let me give you an example. So I have a sixth grader who's a who's a really good player. He's a, he, he's a gym rat. Just lives all all the time in here. And he was working out um, a couple weeks ago with uh, with my associate head coach Raleigh Smith, who is I'll give him a shameless plug here. If anybody's looking for a workout guy for little kids, Raleigh Smith is, is the best in the area. So we were with the sports plant, Euclid Sports Plant, and there was a father there watching watching my watching my sixth grader play. And he asked me if my son was going to the to a showcase, which is you know showcases fifth, sixth, young young kids, very young kids. And I said, no, we're, we're not interested in that. It's it's okay. And he, he had no idea who I was. And he said, well, why wouldn't you want him to go to that showcase? And I and I said, well, you tell me tell me why. And he said, well, you'll get him on Ball is Life and you'll get him on YouTube. And I, I said, okay, you didn't answer my question. I, I don't understand what that does for my 11-year-old kid. And at that point, he said, well, it's going to give him exposure. I said, now you really haven't answered my questions because exposure takes care of you as a father. So if my kid's whatever, if he's the best sixth grader in the state of Ohio, as a dad, yeah, who cares? Like, what, what does that do? What does that do for my son? Maybe he's going to think he's better than he is, so he stops working. Um, now, okay, maybe that helps – the guy who's running the showcase and gets it makes him money, but it does nothing for my kid. So that's how I feel about LeVar Ball. What are you, are you really doing this for your kid or are you really doing this for you? When you go back and we go back to the leadership tenant, I, I think leadership is all about selfless service. I, I look and I, I look at, um, you know, what have I taught my kids and what's the biggest accomplishment I've ever made in Someone asked me that at, at Under Armour camp years back, and I said, oh, we went to five straight state championships. Nobody's ever done that, not even LeBron's teams. And I look back, Mr. T, that was the biggest ball of crap I could have given. The best thing I've ever done since I've been here is I've had six guys 
joined the armed forces. So okay. six guys have raised their hand and said, I- I'll go serve our country. And you know what that, you know what that means? That means somewhere along the way, I, I've taught them that it's about something bigger than themselves. They they want to they want to. It's not about them. It's a, I want to serve somebody else. And that's the thing I'm that's the thing I'm most proud of. And what we're teaching these kids through this exposure through this is hey, it's get yours and don't worry about your teammates. Mm-hmm. You know, don't be coachable. Don't be a good teammate. And don't worry about being a leader. And I and I think that's the opposite of what we should be teaching them. Great points. Outstanding stuff. And I appreciate it very much. Thanks for being on the show. I, I This was a, a huge thrill for me. Like I said, always growing up, uh, being a baseball guy, man, and and watching you with uh, Corey Schneider, Andre Thornton, Kenny <laughs> Lofton. And, and uh, this is, this is a, a huge thrill for me. I, I'm uh, blessed to go around the country and be able to do some keynotes and um, you know, do some, but I, but I really mean this in the bottom of my heart, man. You've always, uh, you stood the test of time. I don't know if that just means you're just, uh, I'm an old you're guy. just getting old, <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, you've always been great to us at St. Joe's, even being, being a Euclid guy and you've always been great to my family and you've always been a guy I've looked up to. So thank you so much for having me on. A lot of respect to you and your dad and your family. Thanks buddy. Thank you. That's it for another edition of Tellich Talks. We would appreciate it very much if you take the opportunity and you like the content that you have heard to subscribe to us on any of the podcasting platforms. We're pretty much everywhere and we're finding our way into this world ever so gently. We're five episodes in and we've got lots of ideas about what to talk about and what kinds of guests to have, but I would welcome any kind of uh, feedback that you have. You can reach me on Twitter at John Tellich 8 or Instagram at just lowercase John Tellich, and that's T-E-L-I-C-H. And thanks again to Babe Kwasniak for his open, candid remarks during our conversation. So until the next time, we'll see you on Tellich Talks. Thanks.